Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Fantastic. We are going to be covering a case in your favorite state. Idaho. Idaho. <laughs> it's my favorite state right now just because of the laws. Like I'm learning so much from Idaho. <laughs> well, we are going back to Idaho. I don't know what my gig is with Idaho right now, but I'm like, that is like my number one state for laws right now. Yeah. Did you see the new law that Florida just passed? What? Um, what is the death penalty for child molesters? Oh, I did see that. Yeah. For sexual assault on children. Yeah. They're doing automatic death penalty. Wild. It'll be interesting to see. Yeah. I mean, I, I imagine that that's well received. Um, my, my, uh, concerns with the death penalty are probably a little bit more significant now, but. You know, just making sure that we have the right person. Well, it'll be interesting to see if sexual offenses of children rates go down, though, just from having that in place. Well, research historically has shown that the more serious the punishment is, is not a deterrent to crime. Really? Yeah. I mean, research has shown that forever. Mm. I mean, years, decades. Because if that was the case, that'd be great if just having it in effect, like, deterred people from doing that because... right. Name a worse crime than crimes against children. Yeah. No, I, I I completely agree with you. I just, I was, I was kind of taken by that. I was like, whoa. Florida, dude, Florida and. Florida and their laws right now. They are like cracking it down. Idaho is still my favorite though. (laughs) Idaho is still number one on my list of fuck around and find out. All right. All right. Well, we'll test that today. Okay. Let's see. I'm Tracy. I'm Samantha. This is The Suspended Sentence. We are going to be covering the Cassie Jo Stoddard case today, better Mm. known as the Scream Murder. Oh. Pretense. Scream is my all-time favorite movie. I know. Ever. Um, Every single movie I've seen it. It came out on my birthday this year. It was like it was made for me. Why? Why do you like that movie so much? It's not super scary, it's kind of like a comedy horror film in my head. You know, like they do it so poorly in like a funny sense. Yeah. I don't know. It was the very first scary movie I ever saw. Oh. And I, as we know, I love crime stuff. I love scary movies. That's funny. It's my thing. The first horror scary movie that I ever saw was The Candyman. I don't know that I've ever seen that, actually. Oh, my God. It scared me so badly that it, to this day, I do not watch I do not watch scary movies. I was terrified of oh, that movie. Some Stephen King. I, can, I love some Stephen King movies. But Scream holds the candle. People can make fun of me all they want. My husband does all the time. He's like, that is not even a scary movie. Uh, <laughs> I love them. I love that it's all the same actors. I love that the storyline. Oh, really? Like, yes. Like, um, Monica from Friends. Uh-huh. In all of them. That's funny. It's fantastic. Huh. Fantastic. Do we? I can't. I can't get a hold of. I love them. Okay, but now but now we've got a murder about it. Right. So here kinda. So here's my thing. Okay. I wanna ask you a question before we even get into this because I wanna know your opinion. Okay. I don't like doing that because I give my opinion and then you tell me the story and my opinion changes and well, then I we'll have check to check re- in. We'll check in at the end. Then we'll I see have if to it changes. Recant my statement and I don't like that. Well, We'll check in at the end. And see I don't like in 30 minutes admitting that I was wrong about something. It's kind of fun for me. <laughs> Do you believe that horror films 
scary, like, violent video games, do you think that that affects teens that play those or watch them regularly? Do you think that affects how their brain develops and how they view crime? Or do commit I, crimes? Do I think or is there any evidence to back it? Whatever you want to give me. Um, because they're different. Okay, okay. <laughs> they're... There isn't any evidence or any concrete anything that says that I've seen anyway, that I've read, and I do follow this because I work with a lot of adolescents. Um, there is no evidence to support that if a kid, for example, was to play a lot of violent video games, that they're going to be a serial killer or anything like that or do violent crimes. Like there isn't. There's just no evidence to support that. Mm -hmm. Some evidence says that it does. Some evidence says that it doesn't. There isn't anything super concrete. Okay. My personal opinion, I think that exposure to violence desensitizes people to the significance of violence, therefore makes violent crimes less like shock value to them okay which makes people more maybe not prone it just desensitized okay but you don't think that it would lead to watching scream when it lead to going out and murdering someone no okay i think i think that people who are going to commit crimes are kind of predispositioned to do it anyway and i think if we're looking that hard for the why we're we're probably looking in the wrong way mm -hmm. because i mean unless unless somebody says i saw this i saw this specific thing and i wanted to copy it like a copycat deal no i don't think that there's a real correlation well, so this it. this case is interesting because the things that happen in this case are very similar to scream 4 the fourth installment of the movie which came out years after this happened Oh, okay. Now, are we saying that the Scream franchise copied this case? No, I do think there's weird similarities yeah. between. Do with the information as you will. I mean, I'm going to have to hear what it is because, <clears throat> I mean, there aren't a whole lot of ways of killing people, so. Right. So, I told you guys I would give you a break between child murderers. <laughs> We're back at it. Awesome. So, Cassie Jo Stoddard was born December 21st, 1989, and there's not a ton of information about, like, who she was or, like, family atmosphere about her, but she was a minor, so sometimes that's hard to find information if the family mm -hmm. doesn't release it. The family doesn't release it. Right. She was 16 at the time of her death. Um, she was born in Pocatello, Idaho, and Cassie and her brothers were mostly raised by her grandparents. Um, I did find that she loves, loved to draw, she loved music, and she played soft, soccer. So she sounded like a very well-rounded yeah. young woman. She was a junior and a straight-A student. So once again, filling in my, my thought of her being well-rounded. Um, she had a boyfriend named Matt um, Beckham, who they had been together about five months. So two kids that she was friends with, and were mostly because they were friends with her boyfriend, so they were like acquaintances until... Her and, her, her and Matt got together, okay. and they became friends, were Tori Adamchik and Brian Draper. Brian was adopt, adopted and had a crush on Cassie. He said that he always felt like an outcast at school, and his closest friend was Tori. 
He liked watching movies and was really into horror films. Now, Brian was fascinated with the Columbine school shooting, like, obsessively. There's a difference between, like, researching something, like, I'm fascinated with true crime compared to being, like, obsessed about something and aspiring to be like someone. Oh, like the shooters, not, like, fear of it happening? the shooters. Oh, wow. He wanted to be in Famous, like Eric Eric Harris and Dylan Kinbold, who were the shooters of the Columbine school shooting. And he viewed them as heroes for the outcasts. Whoa. Yeah. So. Okay, that's unhealthy. Yes. So Tori and Brian decided that they wanted that form of infamy as well as decided that they did want to kill somebody. Oh, my God. Brian wanted to go out in a blaze of glory in his mind like Columbine. And he wanted it to be like a big mass killing like Columbine. How do they know that? Do they tell people that? Yeah. Uh. Tori wanted to do it like they do in the Scream movies. He wanted to make a documentary about the crime and become famous for the crime and theatrics of scaring someone. So scream, that's the thing, you know, ghost face coming in, scaring you before mm-hmm. killing you, hunting you almost throughout your house. Mm-hmm. That's what Tori wanted. So um, those that went to high school with them said that they were always filming themselves and always interviewing people. They would talk um, often about how they wanted to make their own horror film and they were working on a script. But before the murder, um, in school, they were discussing how they would commit their murder. In school. On camera. To each other. In the classroom. Oh my with people. gosh. At the end of August of 2006, Tori called up a guy named Joe Garcia, who was 18, and asked if they could, if he could buy them some knives at the pawn shop. Because at 18, you have, you have to be 18 to buy things in pawn shops. Tori and Brian were 16, so they needed someone to buy the knives at the pawn shop for them. So, in one of their videos that has been, all of their videos and all of their videotapes have been transcribed because of court. Right. Because kind of hard to get away with something when you record everything. (laughs) What did they do with the recordings? I'll get to that. Okay. (laughs) In the transcribe, that was transcribed by the court, um, it has the boys in the car, in the car, and them say that they are going for a high death count, but they aren't going to get caught. They say that they are going to make history and say that for the FBI agents watching, uh, you aren't quick enough and you weren't smart enough to get there before crimes happened. They say this on tape. Then they say that we are at Blank's house. This is listed as Jane Doe in the description. They're minors. Yeah. Um, and, and they say that they, this is somebody that they had tried to kill, but her parents were home. And so they weren't able to go in. We would learn that they had eight people on their list of people that they wanted to kill. Oh, my God. So, September 21st, 2006, they recorded again, and Tori says, quote, The point I'm making is that we were taught that killing people was wrong, but the only wrong thing about this is that we're breaking the law. And the law, but, uh, then he mumbles, and he doesn't finish his thought. Brian says, natural selection, dude, natural selection. Tori responds with, there should be um, there should be no law about killing someone. End of the video. Huh. That same night, they make another video saying that they're going to see Cassie and her boyfriend Matt. At eight thirty six, they record and say um, that they are sad because Cassie is their friend, but they have decided that she will be their first victim. Tori then says, "Quote: I'm horny just thinking about it." Oh my god. 
So on September 22nd, 2006, Cassie was house-sitting for her aunt, uncle, Allison, and Frank Contreras in Whispering Cliffs, um, on Clistering, Whispering Cliffs Drive. The Contreras family were out of town and they had hired Cassie to come take care of their three cats and two dogs for the weekend. Cassie was visited that evening by her boyfriend, Matt, who arrived around 6 p.m. Later, classmates Brian and Tori would come to hang out. Cassie gave the friends a tour of the house, including the basement, and then the four teens would go into the living room to watch the film Kill Bill Volume 2. But Tori and Brian ended up leaving before the film ended, stating that they wanted to go watch a movie at the local movie theater. Cassie and Matt stayed behind. Cassie was unaware, was unaware that before the boys left, Brian had unlocked the basement door so that he and Tori could re-enter the house undetected. Sometime after leaving the house on Whispering Cliffs, Brian and Tori returned to the neighborhood, parked down the street, got out of their car, put on costumes consisting of dark clothing, gloves, and white painted masks. And these masks are creepy. They're like white masks with like blood down the eyes so it looks like the eyes are bleeding. Once again, they're going for the scare factor, right? Yep. So the boys, uh, boys quietly entered the house through the basement door where the couple were watching television in the living room. They intentionally made loud noises in an unsuccessful attempt to get lure Matt and Cassie downstairs. They want it to be like the movies, right? Right. Not thinking that normal humans don't usually go to follow the creepy noise in the basement. Right. I'm sorry, we've all seen scary movies. Nobody does <laughs> Nobody that. does that. Next, they found the circuit breaker and turned the power off to the house. <clears throat> hoping that the pair would come down to try and check the breaker. When Pat and Cassie did not come downstairs, the boys turned the lights back on. Cassie became uneasy about the temporary power outage, and Matt noticed that one of the Contreras dogs kept staring at the basement stairs and per- periodically barking and growling. Seeing that Cassie felt scared, Matt called his mother to ask if he could stay the night at the house with her to ease her mind. His mom said no, but then offered to let Cassie come come home with him and, and Matt so that they, she could stay at their house for the evening. That was nice. Mm-hmm. She then said that she would bring Cassie back to Whispering Cliff's uh, house the next morning. If she didn't feel safe staying there, she could come stay over there. However, Cassie felt that it was her responsibility to stay at the house because she had been hired to do so to care for the animals and declined the offer from Matt's mother. Mm. Approximately 10.30 p.m., Matt's mother picked him up, leaving Cassie at the house alone. Matt then called Tori's cell phone. Remember, Tori's in the basement calls Tori to see what they were up to and see what him and Brian were doing and possibly meet up with them later. Matt said that he could barely hear Tori, who was whispering into the phone and assumed the boys were in the movie theater. Oh, no. From the basement, Brian and Tori heard Matt leave and the teens turned turned the lights back out again from the circuit box and waited, hoping that Cassie would come downstairs to turn the lights back on. She did not. Eventually, the boys would stomp up the stairs. Imagine how terrifying that is. You're a 16-year-old girl yeah. in a completely pitch black house. Hearing one foot of, like, one set of ste- footsteps coming up the stairs is scary enough, but two? Yeah. That's terrifying. Brian was armed with a dagger-typed weapon and Tori with a hunting knife. When they got to the top of the stairs, they slammed the closet door before entering the room. Oh, my God. Brian, um, so Cassie is laying on the couch in the living room and the boys then brutally attacking her to attack her, stabbing her approximately 30 times. 12 wounds potentially fatal, fatal. During her autopsy, it showed two knives had been used, um, one knife being responsible for 11 wounds and the rest by the other knife. So they both very yeah. much participated in this. 
Brian and Tori leave after committing the murder and then go and record again, stating, I just killed Cassie. This is not a fucking joke. I stabbed her in the throat. I killed Cassie. Then Tori goes, shut the fuck up. We have to get our story straight. They go to Tori's house and then go then go by the movie theater to buy a ticket to have an alibi. Obviously, the times aren't going to match up here. Right. Like, they're not very smart. No. They're not very smart. So then they decide to go out to Black Rock area to, to try and burn the videotapes that they had made. Because they're like, okay, maybe it wasn't smart that we, like, recorded everything. Oh, my God. There they, but they douse it in hydrogen peroxide to try and get it to catch on fire. <laughs> when I say they're not very smart, they are not very smart. So then they just decide to bury the tapes along with their masks and their clothes and they go back to Tori's house and watch a movie. It would be two days later before someone would come home. Sunday, September 24th, Cassie's aunt and uncle and their, her 13-year-old cousin come home and discover her in the living room and call the police at 1.55 p.m. Her 13-year-old cousin is who found her. Oh my God, Matt so, didn't check on her? So I get to that. So no val- the police noticed no valuables had been taken and no forced entry was into the home. The initial suspect for Cassie's murder was her boyfriend, Matt, since he was the last reported person to see her alive. Right. Matt was brought in for questioning, and he said that he had been trying to get a hold of Cassie on the 23rd, so the day before, but couldn't get a hold of her, and he couldn't go check on her because he didn't have a car and his mom had been working and had the family vehicle. He was then picked up by Tori on the 23rd, so the day after the murders, to go and sleep over at his house. He asked Tori to give him a ride to go check on Cassie, and Tori said he didn't have enough gas to get out to the house. Oof. When she was found, Cassie's mother called Matt and accused him of killing her. Yeah. However, it did not take the police much time or effort to zero down on Tori and Brian. On September 24th, the police interview Tori, who tells them that he had gone to the house thinking that there was going to be a party, and then went to a movie. But when the police asked him about the movie, Tori said he couldn't remember anything. Couldn't remember the plot, couldn't remember anything. And these are guys that, like, are movie buffs. Yeah. You don't remember right. an actor that was in the movie, the plot, You don't anything. remember anything. Nothing. Okay. So on September 25th, they interview Brian and his mother, because he's a minor, so his mother comes in with him. And Brian says the exact same story and could not tell anything about the movie as well because they weren't at the movie. Right. Once again, they are not smart. You didn't watch the trailer. If right. If you were going with that alibi, like. Right. For people who Nothing. Planned, for people who planned this out so much. Right. The FBI is not smart. You're putting that in your tapes, but you're not going to do your homework. Seriously. When asked how they felt about Cassie's death, Brian said that he was very upset and then started crying. Uh. The police interviewed two, uh, some other students at the school about Brian and Tori, and they learned that they were obsessed with the Scream franchise and the Columbine High School shooting, and that they also always had their video camera with them. One kid said that they had um, been with Cassie when she was talking with Brian and Tori one time, and Cassie said that she that they should let her act in their movie when they make it, their horror film when she when they make it. Oh, that's scary. Isn't that sad and scary? So on September 26th, they do another interview with Brian, who sticks to his story. But they say, but he says that they didn't go to the movie, that actually they had been breaking into some cars that night, and they didn't want to tell the police because they didn't want to get in trouble. But there was not a single report of a broken car. 
Because it didn't happen. Right. <clears throat> On September 27th, so the next day, the police would interview Brian and Tori again, and the big boys began to turn on them, each other. They said that they had had an, uh, the intention to scare Matt and Cassie as a prank. But Brian said um, that they were going to scare Cassie after Matt left, and then Tori just lost it and went crazy and stabbed her. And that Tori um, told him that if the poli- if he told the police that he was going to kill him too. And he said, oh, okay. but I'll take you to where we buried the stuff. It was just a prank that gone wrong, though. I didn't do anything. Tori's... I was an innocent bystander. Tori's perfect. Tori doesn't yeah. do anything. Mm-hmm. Tori's a great kid. So police go with him to get the evidence where they find all of it. The knives, the gloves, the bloody clothes, all of the videotapes. Right. All of it. So, Brian and Tori were arrested on September 27th of 2006 and charged with first-degree murder and conspiracy to commit first-degree murder. Brian was convicted on uh, April 17th, 2007, and uh, Tori was convicted on June 8th, 2007. On August 21st... I lost my place, sorry. Um, On August 21st, Based on being convicted of first-degree murder, each received a mandatory sentence of life imprisonment without the possibility of parole. And plus, a 30 years to life added on to the end of that for being convicted of conspiracy to commit murder. Huh. They're 16. Mm-hmm. So, the convicted men's attorney's um, office filed a separate um, appeal for with the Idaho Supreme Court in September of 2010 for Tory. And in April of 2011 for Brian. So Brian was seeking to have his conviction um, vacated or given a limited life sentence that would allow his release on parole after 30 years. <clears throat> the first appeal for both Tori and Brian was denied in a 3-2 to two decision. And the high court v- uh, vacated Brian's conviction on conspiracy of, to commit first degree murder saying that jurors were given, weren't given the right information to make that kind of call. What? That's all it says. That's all it says? That's all it says. So they affirmed, though, that his conviction of first-degree murder and his life sentence without parole would stand. They just got rid of the conspiracy. Okay. In July of 2015, Tori gained a hearing for a post-conviction relief with the state's 6th District Magistrate, Judge Michael Brown. He claimed that uh, testify from character uh, character witnesses could have changed the outcome of his sentencing. Um, and that was against his, his attorney and his parents said, no, we're not having character witnesses. And he's like, I think that would have changed my, my outcome. (laughs) So Tori said that his attorney believed that the prosecution would have submitted more damaging evidence had he gone on the stand and he didn't get the right to testify in his own case. Mm -hmm. So now that he's an adult, he's like, I should have been able to do all those things. So I didn't get a fair trial. And so that's the card he's kind of playing. Sure. But in March of 2016, Judge Brown denied his request for post-conviction relief, and Tory appealed to Judge Brown's decision to the Supreme Court, which in December of 2017 was rejected. Yeah. They're like, no, that's not how this works, dude. Right. In 2010, the Sodder family filed a civil lawsuit against the Idaho School District, claiming that the school authorities were negligent and should have known that Brian and Tory posed a threat to others. Which is kind of interesting because they were recording. They were saying yep. that they were in a killer in school. Yeah. So they were like, nobody heard that. Right. Nothing. This was happening on your time. Right. But the civil um, 
the Idaho Supreme Court dismissed the case, saying that the action of the killers was not foreseeable. What? How do you feel about that? Hmm. You think that was foreseeable? What year was it? 2017 at this point. Yes. <laughs> so... Anna, Cassie's mom, was quoted saying, It's just ridiculous. The parents need to get over their denial and realize that Tori did it and that he's going to spend the rest of his life in jail as he should. They still have their son. I get to visit my daughter in a cemetery. I don't get to see her graduate, get married, or ever have kids. Because Tori's parents are adamant he had nothing to do with this. Really? It was a prank. Adamant to this day. Huh. To the point where Tori's mom has come out with a book called The Guilty Innocent. Uh, okay. And I just want to read you the back of this book. Okay. Because this woman is delusional. delusional. The back of her book says 16-year-old Cassie Jo Stoddard agreed to house sit for relatives on the weekend of September 22nd, 2006. It was something the teenager had done before, but this time something went terribly wrong. When the family returned home from the end of the weekend, they found Cassie lying in the living room on the living room floor, brutally stabbed to death. De um, detectives focused on two of Cassie's classmates who had briefly visited her that night, uh, the night that she was murdered, Tor Tori Adamchek and Brian Draper. Initially, both boys denied any knowledge of the crime, but after two separate interrogations, Brian Draper told detectives a chilling story of murder straight out of a horror movie. The two boys were immediately arrested, and a shocking videotape was discovered that seemed to decept, um, decept the two teens, not only planning the cold-blooded murder, but also celebrating it. The Guilty Innocent is narrated by Sharon Adamchek, mother of Tori, one of the accused boys, but he's innocent. Uh, the comments on her Goodreads are violent. Really? People telling her to go fuck off, that she's a dumb bitch, mm -hmm. like... What kind of woman profits off of some right. of her son a murder. Yeah, a crime? He made a video. But she says, because in the video where Brian, when they first, right after they murdered Cassie, where he was like, I just stabbed her, da-da-da-da, Brian said that. And Tori is the one that said, shut the fuck up. We need to get our story straight. She was like, Brian said, you never heard him say, we just killed her. We stabbed her. Brian said, I just killed Cassie. Well, <clears throat> go on with yourself, mama. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. You know, it, it is some shocking, shocking percentage. Like, 85% or something, and that's not the exact number, but it is some high-ass percentage right there of females who are the victim of murders and violent crimes, like 85%, again, the number is wrong, but it's a high number like that, of these murders happen by somebody that not only we know, but we trust. Yeah, these are her friends. Correct. And I just want to throw out there that women, generally speaking, not generally speaking, 95% of us are the most untrusting FBI agents in the whole world. Yeah. Like we do not trust people, let alone boys, right? Mm -hmm. And and for 
it's appalling to me pretending to be somebody's friend and being like you would be a great first participant in our horror movies and then and then for his mom to write a book and profit off of that like is oh crazy. my gosh what a talk about pouring salt on a wound and we're talking like what 18 years ago that this happened I'm surprised that 17 years is that right I'm surprised that the that the civil lawsuit against the school district got dismissed I am too because I feel like they have a case it's all recorded in school I mean you can watch the tapes I thought about showing like playing part of it because like but like they're they don't deserve that that's what they wanted Oh, they don't that's what they that. wanted. They, yeah, what they for wanted. sure. They wanted us to play those tapes and post the tapes and be infamous. And be infamous. And yeah. I'm not interested in anybody hearing their voices at no. all. I'm not interested in giving <clears throat> that to them. No, definitely And they can not. play their whole, like, pity party, like, oh, I didn't do it. Oh, da-da-da-da-da. Bullshit. <laughs> and, and the extent that they went through to inflict fear, I mean, my God, talk about sadist. I know. And that's why my thing, too, is, like, A, they're her friends. B, how scared she was in her last minutes. She was terrified. Well, I imagine that there was, like, fear, paralyzing fear, because she didn't move. She didn't even get off the couch. If I heard somebody coming up the stairs, I would move. Mm-hmm. I would at least grab something. And the dogs didn't do The dogs didn't do anything? They just I were growling and barking, yeah. Yeah. And then, so to be that afraid... And then to see, oh, it's my friends. It's my friends. And then that relief. And then the betrayal and fear. Mm-hmm. And then two of them and one of her. And God, what? Yeah, and you know that she was scared because, I mean, Matt wanted to stay with her. And I get, like, as a parent, I wouldn't let my 16-year-old son be like, oh, like, I know what you're playing. Like, oh, your girlfriend's scared. You need to spend the night. Like, I wouldn't have let him stay either. No, but that was a nice offer for them to come 100%. back. Can you imagine the survivor guilt, though, from that mom? Oh, yeah. Of not... Making her go with her. Or or staying there or something. Yeah. Well, but then, Matt, the, but then the relief it. of, thank God I said no to my son. Yeah, because they... In one of the tapes, I didn't list this, but now that we've brought that up, in one of the tapes when they decided that Cassie was going to be their first victim, they said, we don't want to kill Matt. But if he's in the way or tries to protect her, he's going down too. So they would kill Matt too. Matt, yeah. who was one of their best friends. Right. Who spent the night at their house the day after they killed his girlfriend. And, and she knew him them because of Matt. Right. So imagine what Matt is going through. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, that one's a really sad one because A, the betrayal. B, it's like. Mm-hmm. I don't know. And the reason I said that it's like Scream 4 is Scream 4 is all set around the friends. It's one of their friends that is the Scream Killer in that one. Oh. And that's why they refer to it as a Scream Killer because it's the same type of situation. Mm. But I don't know. I I know last time we did a child one and I was like, how are they getting tried or sentenced to life in prison, da 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 this one, I see it. But but that's my... I'm glad that you're starting to see it, though, because that's the difference, right? And that's why district court judges are given the latitude that they're given for sentencing is because each crime is different. Mm-hmm. But with them, I 
I see that one because for them to have that planning process of the premeditation, call it what it is, right? Yeah, of buying the mask, Mm -hmm. having someone go and get the knives weeks before this happened. Right. And the arrogance of them recording it. The FBI, you weren't smart enough to catch us. The FBI doesn't, what, you think they were going to watch this and be like, oh, darn, they outsmarted us. Right. No, you guys are just two asshole kids that, I don't know. Yeah. Oh, man, that's a brutal case. I hate that case. And I got to tell you, I mean, Idaho, come on. I'm shocked that her... Parents, I still can't come back. I'm still coming back to the whole school district thing. I'm shocked that they lost that. I am too. They need to rephrase the words and go at it again. Because to me, that's foreseeable. Their argument whenever they were like, oh, yeah, we're going to sneak in, scare her, and stab her to death, da-da-da. Apparently, whenever, like, anybody would be like, hey, man, like, what the hell? Why are you talking about that? They'd be oh, we're just working our script for our horror film. Our script for our horror film, is that part of some class? Is that a curriculum in a class? Exactly. Exactly. I mean, was that reported to school? Was, I mean... I don't know. I We've all been in a high school classroom. They're not ginormous. You're sitting on your desk recording saying this out loud. Well, and, and why are you recording in class? I mean, where's the teacher? Where's the supervision? Where's the... I don't know. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that, that they lost that. Yeah, and then there's videos of them recording Cassie down the hallway, like, almost like in a stalking way, but then would joke and be like, oh, we're just seeing how you are on the camera for when you're in our horror film. Yeah, that's, you know, I mean, I, I agree with the parents there. I mean, like, we send our kids to school under the pretense and under the notion and the assumption that they're going to be safe and they're going to be protected. Mm-hmm. And and when that doesn't happen, oh, man. Yeah, and poor Matt those first couple days. Oh, my gosh. I mean, it does look bad. It does look bad. He calls them. He's like, you know what I mean? But, like, I mean, getting it from her mom. A, you're finding out that your girlfriend's dead for the first time, and then she's like, you freaking killed her. What'd you do to her? Yeah. Like. Well, and I'm surprised that, I don't know. I mean, it's it's whatever, but he didn't call grandma or anybody and say hey i haven't been able to get a whole cold to cassie is she okay that's my thing too is why was she found for two days like no family was checking on her like unless i mean like i don't know maybe i'm out at their maybe i'm just like crazy over the top mom but i don't hear from my kids for three hours and i'm tracking them down yeah gosh and her poor 13 year old cousin oh you don't recover from that no you do not recover from that no so, oh, that was They're awful. disgusting vile. And yeah. his mom at Shannon is crazy pants. She's just as vile and disgusting. And the lack of accountability. Like this, we've said this a million times too. Like I get like standing beside your children. That one's a open shut case. Yeah. There's no. Just put on, put on, put on beige, put your head down and shut your mouth. And stop writing books and profiting off of your son's crime. Yeah. Cause, because it is your son's crime. Yeah. Yeah. And so every- don't buy her book. She's gross. Nobody's going to buy it. All right. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, guys. Stay safe.